You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everyone. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast. Today, I would like to start out referring you to wealthformula.com where you can get all sorts of things, including the free download of my best selling book, Seven Secrets of Eternal Wealth. Now, I got a little high tech since we last talked. And I realize that a lot of people are listening to this show while they're driving and not really going to their computer to take advantage of some of the things that we do. So I got a little high tech and I subscribed to this thing called Lead Digits. Now, what this is going to let you do is if you can text, all you have to do is text 44222. And then to that text, all you do is you put the words wealth formula, one word, wealth formula into that, and you can get a copy of my book emailed to you, so you don't even have to go to a computer. Again, text 44222 and put Wealth Formula, one word, and you are on your way to getting a free copy, a free download of The Seven Secrets of Eternal Wealth. You can also go to Amazon and pay me for that book if you prefer, but you can get it for free just by doing that. 44222 Wealth Formula. Now, I am doing this podcast a couple days after Memorial Day, and first of all, I, I want to take this chance to thank all of you veterans out there for putting out your life on the line so that we can all live relatively carefree lives the way that Americans do, you know. Compared to the rest of the world, we got it pretty darn good, and in my view, we are still the greatest country in the world, and I don't see that changing anytime soon despite what others say. There is no other place in the history of the world that provides as much opportunity for those who are willing to take life by the horns than the United States of America. And I speak, my friends, as the child of immigrants who came to this country broke and went on to live the American dream as affluent citizens of this great country. Now, listen, I know there are a lot of people in our niche here of the hard asset niche Uh, Lots of podcasts that you guys listen to, and you hear a lot of pessimism about the future of the United States. Because there's no doubt, I mean, listen, we are in a bit of an economic pickle, and I don't doubt that we may see some tough times over the next 10 years. But let me remind you that we are indeed the heart of the global economy. In other words, if we go down, the rest of the world goes down. And if the global economy implodes, do you really think you are safer in South or Central America or Puerto Rico or some other safe haven? If you believe that, you haven't spent enough time in the underdeveloped world. If all hell breaks loose, there is no other place that I'd rather be than the USA. And for as much as we may have some tough times on the horizon, I do not see the fall of the empire, as some do. Instead, I see a new era of greatness. 20 years from now, we're going to look back to this era much the same way we look back at the 70s. You know, you remember, you watch TV and you see all those cars lined up at the gas stations. And I was too young to remember that, but they were tough times, and we've seen them before. And we have seen tough times before, and we come out of it even stronger. That's just who we are. I believe, ladies and gentlemen, that American ingenuity and entrepreneurship will prevail. I'm an optimist. The many problems that we have will be solved. 
They'll be solved by our ingenuity, our technology, and other creative measures. I still believe in the greatness of our country and our untapped potential, and I can't wait to prove all the doomsday people wrong. America will prevail. I'll take some blame here. I think a lot of times we get, you know, too negative on the show, and I want to make sure in the future that we have a better balance. There are plenty of people out there, you know, the likes of Peter Diamandis and his book Abundance that are very positive and see good things in the future for our country and our world. Now, we're not destined to go down. Every generation thinks that, folks. I mean, it's just the way it is. So let's focus on what we can do right now. Let's focus on opportunity rather than looking for all the negative things and all of the ticking time bombs. I mean, listen, there is some, and if it happens, it happens. And you folks of all are going to do just fine by it because you'll be ready. You're investing in real assets, et cetera. If we see hyperinflation, you're going to inflate with it. You're going to be in good shape. My guest today is a good one to have because he has seen it all. I mean, he's uh, we're talking about the 70s and all that stuff. This guy is a world-famous financial journalist who has been at it for greater than 30 years. So at this point, nothing surprises him. And you know what? He's just a really fun guy to talk to, and you're going to enjoy this show. So when we come back, we will speak with Mr. Jordan Goodman. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest is Jordan E. Goodman, America's Money Answers Man and nationally recognized expert on personal finance. He is a regular guest on numerous radio and television call-in shows across the country, answering questions on personal financial topics. He frequently appears on The View, Fox News Network, Fox Business Network, CNN, CNBC, and CBS Evening News. For 18 years, Jordan was on the editorial staff of Money Magazine, where he served as the Wall Street correspondent. And while at Money, he reported and wrote on virtually every aspect of personal finance. In addition, he served as weekly financial analyst on CNBC News at Sunrise for nine years and the daily business news commentator for Mutual Broadcasting Systems America in the Morning show for eight years. He's the author of 13 best-selling books on personal finance, including Master Your Debt, Fast Profits and Hard Times, Everyone's Money Book, Master Your Money Type, Barron's Dictionary of Finance and Investment Terms, and Barron's Finance and Investment Handbook. Well, Jordan, that's quite a career. Welcome to the show. Great to be with you, Buck. You bet. So let's start with a little bit about how you got in the business. You describe yourself as a financial journalist, right? So how did you get into this business? Well, I've always been interested in journalism. I started as a journalist at age 12, actually. Oh, wow. We have a house in Hyannis, and... I wrote for the local newspaper, the Cape Cod Times. I did a youth baseball column at the very beginning. That was my first, and I did leagues all over Cape Cod and just hung around the newsroom, started doing other stories and just always interested in that. When I went to college at Amherst College, did all kinds of journalistic things and documentaries and all kinds of things there as well. Then I went to Columbia School of Journalism. Actually, I'm coming up on my 40th reunion. I was class of 1977. Wow. And that's where I learned about economic and business journalism particularly. And then went from there to Money Magazine, where I was for 18 years, and learned all about personal finance journalism. What I like about it, Buck, is it's journalism that actually affects real people and really helps them. In many cases, they're just not getting help. 80% of Americans do not have financial advisors. The financial advisor class pretty much wants to deal with the top, I'll be generous, 10%, but really more like 5% of the population, You know, at least 100,000, if not more, to invest. And so that leaves the vast majority of people out with no financial advice. 
And so they hear me on radio shows and I give speeches and they come to my website, moneyanswers.com and just all kinds of ways to help actual people make all kinds of financial decisions that they're not getting advice to do. And some kinds in kind of untraditional ways as well. Sure. And so I love it. Journalism really impacts people and I love to do that. Yeah, that's great. Now you've been studying the economy for over three decades, I guess almost four decades if you're talking about your reunion coming out. Now give us a sense of where we are today as a country, you know, compared to, you know, your perspective over the last four decades as individual investors maybe and the economy as a whole. Well, I mean, we're the economy's growing, certainly not as fast as it could be. Maybe we're growing at a one to two percent rate, something like that. Now we'll have to see what happens with tax reform. The four pillars of the economic growth plan from President Trump are tax cuts to put money back both in individual and businesses' hands, infrastructure spending, which would be between five hundred billion and a trillion dollars, which would put a lot of money into the economy in various ways. We clearly need that infrastructure spending all over the place. Repatriation of foreign profits, that's currently about uh, $2.5 trillion overseas, bringing some of that money back, investing it here. And then deregulation in all kinds of industries to make it easier for business to do business, basically. So of those four, deregulation is actually starting to happen because that's something that can be done by different agencies and executive order and kind of they've gone ahead on all kinds of fronts to deregulate. Tax reform is still being proposed, but actually hasn't happened yet. Infrastructure, the same and the repatriation is kind of tied up in the whole tax reform. So of the four pillars, one has started to happen, the other three have not. And the stock market certainly had a major move upwards since the election in anticipation of those other three things happen. But if they don't end up happening, there could be a massive disappointment. <laughs> so yeah. there's yeah. a lot of expectation that those things are going to happen. And I hope they do. But there's a lot of things. Getting things through Congress is not easy. One thing, never mind all these major things. Congress tends to move very slowly. And you saw what happened with health care is every Republican had campaigned on repeal and replace. And when they actually got down to it, they disagreed so much on what to replace it with that they didn't do anything. So it's not easy to actually get these things through. Right. Legislation is different than campaigning. Yeah. The other issue right. I think that, you know, it's interesting that you bring up is the infrastructure stuff. And I interviewed Christopher Whalen a while back. He made the good point that there's no such thing as a shovel-ready infrastructure project. So even that pillar may be something that might be a little bit of optimistic if we expected to. It takes a long time to yeah. do these things. You're right. 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 Uh, I remember when, when we had the stimulus program in 2009, 2010, that was supposed to – whatever, roughly a trillion dollars was supposed to go into shovel-ready. Yeah, <laughs> Didn't yeah happen exactly. Right. Right. right, right. So we've been down this road before, but we do have a lot. I mean, just to give you an example, I'm in New York, and recently they had some derailments of Amtrak trains at Penn Station, which messed up the entire East Coast train system, not only Amtrak, but, you know, the, the local trains. And so it was just a complete mess. And it's just because some railroad ties had fallen apart just out of where. I mean, that's an example yeah. of something in the real real world that wouldn't be that hard to fix that would make a big difference. I mean, they're also talking about putting new tunnels in. and I mean, these are long-term kind of projects, but they've been stalled. We've, we've not been doing infrastructure spending for a long time. And that really would help the economy, both in the long run, making us more efficient and the short term, creating a lot of jobs. In fact, I think the problem would be, Buck, we don't have the workers to do the infrastructure. Yeah. I mean, you go to housing today, any builder is going to tell you they have a real hard time getting labor for people who are willing to do framing and roofing and all those kind of things. So where are we going to come up with the workers to do all these massive infrastructure programs? Nobody's talking about that. So 
let's uh, change a little bit on topic and let's talk about investing. So my listeners typically are hardworking, highly paid professionals. You know, I'm a physician and so not all of them are physicians by any means. We get a lot of physicians, lawyers, engineers, even even guys working on Wall Street that uh, secretly come back and look at alternative investments with us. So <laughs> in your view, you know, right now, it seems like it's pretty tough to get some yield in this economy. Right. What kind of recommendations do you make to people like us? You have to do alternatives because the traditional bank CDs, money market funds, savings accounts are pretty much at zero and going to stay that way for a long time. The Fed Reserve may raise short-term rates, but the banks are not raising what they're paying on deposits. So that's not a way to earn anything. Uh, bonds, long-term treasuries are a little bit more than 2%. That's a 10-year treasury, okay? Right. So that's not going to do very well. And even corporates, maybe 3 or 4%, but with definitely some potential volatility. I mean, if interest rates were to rise, and the argument would be everything we just talked about, tax reform, stimulating the economy, would make more demand for money, would make interest rates rise, you would lose a lot of principal on those treasury and corporate bonds. You'd lose a lot more in principal than you're going to earn in interest. If you're earning 2% or so, you could lose 10 or 20% very quickly if interest rates rise. So that's not a particularly great alternative for income as well. So let me give you some alternatives that I've been using as ways of getting higher yields without either the stock market or the bond market or traditional uh, bank projects. The first one I like are what are called commercial real estate income funds. And that's a way of earning 8% very safely over a one-year time frame. And you get either monthly checks, it, which you could have deposited into your checking account, or you can reinvest it back in the fund to have your money be growing at 8%. And there's a website for that as well, which is commercialrealestateincomefunds.com. And what they're doing, Buck, is they are lending money to commercial real estate projects over a short time, one year or so, to renovate or improve commercial properties in what's called a forced appreciation model. They're making the value of the property go up in some way that's predictable in advance. The builder developers pay the interest. And then when the project is done, it's often sold, and some of the profit is given back to the fund shareholders. So you not only get 8%, but you get a quarterly profit-sharing distribution as well on top of that 8%. It uh, could be another maybe 1% or 2% or so, depending on which projects are sold in a particular time frame. The maximum that they lend is 70% of the value of the property. So that 30% is what I call the equity cushion that's going to protect you against any kind of a downside there. And it's over a short period of time. So that commercial properties don't tend to go down very much at all. And they're borrowing this money to improve their projects. They don't want to lose them. They want to improve them. I'll give you an example if that would help. Buck. Sure. On a, so here's one that they did recently. There was a guy that had a large house in a university town. I think it was Boulder, Colorado. And he was renting it out to two students. He got a loan from the fund and over a year completely redid the house to make it into four apartments, four bathrooms, four kitchens, four doors. And so a year later, his income is doubled. He gets four rents instead of two from the same property. So that's the forced depreciation part. The value of the property is worth a lot more when you have double the cash flow from the same property. He then sold it because somebody wanted to buy it with you know the higher income and shared some of the profit with the fund. That's an example. Another one they did as a big house where one elderly person was living in there they took it over, renovated it, and made it into an assisted living home where there are now six elderly people and a nurse's station. And again, their income is dramatically higher over having one person there. So that's the model of it, and it's been proven over a long period of time. 
So there you go. And it doesn't trade, doesn't go up and down in value. And there you're getting 8% and you can get your money back after 18 months. I mean, it's on an annual basis, but it's an 18 month minimum hold. And you can do that inside an IRA or outside an IRA. So that's an alternative that I would like as a way of earning a pretty decent yield, 8% in this environment. And again, the website for that, commercialrealestateincomefunds.com. So presumably that's uh, debt that we're talking about, right? If it's 8% fixed. Correct. Yeah. And they're lending, they're lending to these builder developers and the 8% is coming from interest. So the guy who built that, who renovated that student loan housing is paying interest for the year while sure. the project is being done. Yep. And then once the project is done, he sells it and pays it off and shares a piece of the profit back with the fund shareholders. So that's correct. That is interest you are receiving a little bit of capital gain at the end in the profit sharing. How else are you investing your money? The other thing I'm doing is oil and gas. Now, oil's been rough, about $50 a barrel, something like that. If you can buy into existing producing wells, you can typically get about 8.5%, something like that. This is not exploration for new wells. This is existing wells. And one of the things about oil and gas is you can actually get a lot of tax benefits. There's a lot of incentives for oil and gas drilling, something called intangible drilling benefits, for example, depreciation. So a lot of the income you would get is actually tax sheltered. So there's a way of getting 8% with almost paying no taxes. So it's almost almost like getting an 8% municipal bond to some extent. Yeah, yeah. So there's a website for that as well, which is there's a place called Resolute Capital Management that does this. And so their website is rcp-ltd.com, uh, which is you know, Resolute Capital Management. Uh, and they've also got a phone number as well, which is 888-660-8159. And there's a way of getting 8%. Now, this particular one, their cost of pulling oil out of the ground is $18 a barrel. So as long as you're over $18 a barrel, they're making money. Now, they're making a lot more if it's 50 or 60. Sure, sure. But even at 50, even at 40, you're still making money. So that's the kind of safety margin there because they're producing wells and getting them at such a low cost. So those are two alternatives to getting you roughly 8% that are completely separate from the stock market and the bond market and the banking system. We can earn some pretty decent yields these days. So let's talk a little bit about debt in general. What's your mm -hmm. view on debt? There's good debt and bad debt. Right, basically. exactly. I mean, good mm -hmm. debt is debt where you're getting something that's going to be worth more than the interest you're paying on it. And bad debt is where you're paying more interest than you're ever going to earn on money. If you're paying 18% on a credit card, that's bad debt. Because if you spent it on clothes or a restaurant meal or something like that, you're not getting any return you know, on that money. If you borrow on your home equity in your home for 4%, say, for example, Buck, you borrowed at 4% on your home equity and put into the one of the two funds I just mentioned, the commercial real estate income fund or the oil and gas fund earning 8%, that's a good use of debt. That's a positive arbitrage in your favor. Right. So in itself, debt is not good or bad. It's what you do with the money that makes the difference as to whether it's good or bad. And I would argue in the long run that student loan debt, as long as it's not excessive, can be good. Your biggest source of income over your life is not investments, it's your own earning power. And in theory, educating yourself in something that's going to be useful is increasing your earning power, and you should be able to pay that student loan debt off. The problem is a lot of people go a little overboard sure. and get far much, much too much student loan debt, uh, and that's where you get into trouble. But if you keep it moderate and you go into a field where you're going to get a, a good salary out of it and good future, that's a very good investment in, in debt as well. So how about mortgages? 
I mean, mortgages, it's funny, you can look at it and you say, well, gosh, is that good debt or is that bad debt? I mean, Kiyosaki's definition, it's bad debt, right? Because it's taking money out yeah. of your pocket. So how do you view mortgages? Should you have well, debt there? In general, I think it's okay. You want to actually buy a house that's going to appreciate in value, but you can't assume it's going to appreciate in value as it did in the past. Now, the, the housing market in general is pretty strong these days because there's a supply-demand imbalance, but it's very cyclical. I mean, not many years ago, you had uh, much too much supply and not enough buying. Now it's the other way around. There's not enough supply and, and too many buyers. You have multiple offers for, for houses in good condition, good locations. So mortgage debt allows you to kind of get in the game. Over time, a home is probably people's biggest investment, biggest way of making you know, substantial gains. Uh, but you don't want to take on too much debt. And that's where people got into trouble. In the mid-2000s, people were taking on much too big mortgages that they couldn't afford on the assumption that the value of the real estate would go up dramatically and bail them out. Well, it did until it didn't. Yep. <laughs> and then when it didn't, you had all these foreclosures and people walking away from their homes and the mortgages were a disaster. So it depends how you play it. If you are going to get a mortgage, get one where the rate is going to stay reasonable. The, the mortgage that I've always had is what's called the automatic rate cut mortgage or ARC loan. A website for that, arcloan.com, A-R-C-L-O-A-N.com. When rates go down, it automatically goes down. When rates go up, it does not go up. It's a one-way street in your favor. Wow, favorite. that's interesting. So it adjusts and then sort of locks, huh? Correct. I got my Arc loan originally in 2001, 30-year mortgage, maturing in 2031. At the time, I got it at 10%. That was the rate in 2001. It's now come down to 3%. And it'll never go up. Every time rates go up, it doesn't affect it. But my maturity is still 2031, right? So every time it adjusts down, you don't start a new mortgage all over again and have a kind of a new 30-year clock starting. Yeah. So you're getting the advantage of a lower rate without changing your maturity. So it's a unique kind of a thing. And that that's a mortgage that I would think a lot of people could use because rates are still quite low today, roughly 4% or so. I don't think they're going to go up that much more. But if they do, it's not going to affect you. But it Every time rates went down, people said, no, no way it could go lower than that. And it did. Yeah. So yeah. if that happens, you, you benefit from, from that as well. You talk a bit about, and you've written about, mortgage equity optimization. And this is a strategy which, you know, essentially allows you to pay off, say, a 30-year mortgage in just, you know, five to seven years without Correct. spending any more money. I've tried to read a little bit about it. I don't get it, Jordan. Can you explain it? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think I sent your copy of my book. Right? I know, I know. <laughs> uh, my book called Master Your Debt has uh, chapter six is called Mortgage Free in Five to Seven Years. And yes, this is something that's not traditional. Most mortgage people or bankers will have no idea what you're talking about when you ask about mortgage equity optimization. All right, I'm going to do a simple example. Once you get it, you kind of get it, but it's a new idea for most people. So a traditional mortgage situation is you have a 30-year mortgage where you make the same payment for 30 years, and the way it's loaded is all the interest is up front. First 10 to 15 years, you're making the same payment, but 90% of it or so is, is interest, right? Right. And then most people stay in their homes for seven years on average. Then you go to a new home and you start a new 30-year clock all over again with all that interest up front, sure, right? Sure, And meanwhile, you're keeping your income from your paycheck and dividends in a checking account earning zero. That's the current system. That works really well for the banks. You give them your money for free, and you pay them interest forever on a 30-year loan. Yep. <laughs> okay. Nice. It's working very, very well for the banks. Sure. Okay. Optimization completely turns the tables on that and puts you in charge instead of the bank in charge. And the way you do that is you use a home equity line of credit, what's called the HELOC, H-E-L-O-C, 
which is a liquid line against your house. You can put money in, you can take it out whenever you like with no penalties whatsoever. You can write checks on it, for example. And you keep your income, which is normally in the checking account earning nothing, in the HELOC, and it's pushing down your balance every day. HELOCs are based on what's called average daily balance. How much do you owe today? So if you put money in there, it's moving your balance down, and therefore you owe less interest because you owe less principal, and you're making rapid progress on your principal every day. So your money is actually working for you instead of the bank. That makes sense? Yeah, it does. So you're replacing your mortgage with the HELOC entirely? Well, typically not. Typically, you'll do a combination of what they call the blended strategy, meaning say you have a good first mortgage, 4% or something like that. You're paying it off faster, but you're not getting rid of it altogether. The HELOC is a adjust rate loan. It's based on the prime rate. So if interest rates go up, you'll pay a little bit more. But the important thing is you're paying off the principal much faster. So let me just go through an oversimplified example of how this would work, Mark. And by the way, there's a website. People can find out more about this in much more detail, which is truthinequity.com. Truthinequity.com. They kind of model the whole thing for you. So I'm going to give you a, a super simplified example. Say you have a house worth 300000 and you have a $200,000 first mortgage on it. You go out and get a home equity line of credit for $50,000. you got plenty of equity, Okay. So you just open the HELOC line, it's free and clear. You write a $50,000 check on the HELOC towards the first. So now instead of owing 200, you owe 150. You're with me? Yep. Okay, you now use this technique to pay off that $50,000 HELOC over six months, nine months, however long it takes. Your money's in there, you're paying it down, you're making progress on it continually, and after say nine months, the 50,000 is now paid off. Do it again, you write another $50,000 check on the HELOC towards the first. So instead of being 150, you now owe 100. You paid off over nine months. Do it two more times. Your first is now paid off after whatever, two or three years. You then pay off the HELOC. You are now debt-free as far as your mortgage in roughly five years, depending on how the numbers work out. So the principle here is that you're paying off, preferentially paying off principal quickly. Right. And that is uh, along you create equity and you're not putting in an extra dime there. So that's kind of a Correct. nice thing it, too. The way your money is flowing, it's based on your existing level of income. It's the way you're flowing your money that's helping you. And then you pay your bills out of the HELOC on the day they're due electronically. So every day that you have money in that HELOC, it's pushing the principal down a little bit. And then the balance goes down, down, down. The day you pay your bills, the balance goes back up, right? And then it goes down, right. down, down. You're Maybe you just pay your bills you know, once a month by having it all in one credit card, something like that. So your money is working for you instead of the bank, and that's the revolutionary part right. about this. Well, another uh, additional benefit might be the fact that if you're keeping your savings in that HELOC, it's technically debt and protected from lawsuits, right? I mean, there's a little right. bit of an asset protection strategy. And it's deductible as yeah. well. Right? Oh, that's if good. You earn something on savings, you know, it's pennies, it's taxable, but the interest you're going to pay in the HELOC, which must be 4% or something like that today is going to be deductible interest. So the after-tax cost may be 2 or 3%, actually. So it's using the equity you've got in your home to pay your mortgage off. I mean, imagine the difference for a couple that buys a home at age 30, and it's paid off by 35 instead of 60. Right. <laughs> what a difference in their lives. Right? I have literally saved your listeners 25 years off their mortgage and tens of thousands of dollars in needless interest. And they don't even know they're being ripped off. They don't even know the problem exists, but I've just solved it for them. Right. And then, you know, if you look at it from the standpoint of, you know, how can you make that money work for you if you're the type of person who wants to use the equity in your home to invest, like Jordan talked about, you could go at that point and, you know, get a new mortgage 
and use the money that's freed up and buy some investments and or do a HELOC or do it. Yeah, do a HELOC. Right. Do a HELOC. Do a HELOC you're, you're completely. Now, your mortgage is now paid off. Right. So now you do a $50,000 HELOC at 4%, invest it in the oil and gas fund we talked about or the commercial real estate income fund at 8%, put that money towards your retirement. Now you're having your equity work for you. It's a completely different way of looking at things. It's what I call making you the master of your debt instead of the victim of your debt. Right. Most people are victims of their debt, and they don't even know they're victims right. of it. Are there, limitations? are there limitations to this? I mean, can you do it with jumbos and all that, too? With the, yeah. Yeah. You can't just on bigger numbers. There yeah. are three things you need to make mortgage optimization work. You need to have positive equity in your house. If, you have no, if you're underwater, there's nothing to borrow against. You have to have a decent credit score, maybe 680 or higher, to qualify for the HELOC. And you have to have positive cash flow during the month. More money coming in than going out during the month. Because that positive cash flow is what's pushing down the principal. Okay, if you have a right. bad credit score, you're underwater in your house, and you have negative cash flow, this is not going to work for you. Okay, right. But I bet the vast vast majority of listeners have those three things, and so it works. So when you go to that website, truthandequity.com, it's a free website. And they have what's called a personal profile, and you put in your income and your expenses and your mortgage and your house and all the different things, and it's going to say based on what you're doing today, it's going to take you 28 and a half years to pay off your mortgage. With the numbers you just gave us, it's going to be 6.3 years, however the numbers come out to be. And then step by step, they show you how to do it. And I've just saved your listeners tens of thousands of dollars in needless interest. Well, that was nice of you, Jordan. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, this has been fantastic. I really, really enjoyed this. I know you have another call you have to get on in a few minutes here. And so why don't you, um, you know, I'm sure people want to hear more from you and about you. Tell me a little bit about your show and how we can you know, how my listeners can, can listen to you some more and, and maybe get some, some of these, you know, interesting ideas. Sure. So my website is moneyanswers.com. Uh, I also do a show, which you have been on, called the Money Answers Radio Show, which is a weekly show. It's on live from 3 to 4 uh, every Monday, but it's also archived so people can listen to it later. It's on what's called the Voice America Business Network. So you go to voiceamerica.com. And then you just do Money Answer Show, and it'll come right up. And I've been doing it for 10 years, every week. And I've interviewed all the top people in personal finance, including you. So <laughs> actually helped a lot of people that way. So that's great content on there. And then at MoneyAnswers.com, I've got links and videos and just all kinds of different. We've talked about just a few things. We've talked about some investment things. We've talked about some mortgage things. But getting better credit cards and health insurance. There's just loads of different things. I've been doing this for a long time. So, and I'm glad to take emails as well from your listeners at moneyanswers.com. Fantastic. Jordan Goodman, everyone, America's Money Answers Man. Thanks for being on Wealth Formula Podcast. Thanks so much, Buck. Appreciate it. So I hope you all enjoyed that show with Mr. Jordan Goodman. I always find it very, very entertaining to talk to that guy. I think he's lots of fun, just a ton of knowledge. Listen, there are lots of ways to approach for personal finance that you probably don't even know. And I do want to make sure that you know that a lot of these tricks and tactics that you know Jordan talked about and that the wealthy use are things that we actually talk about in my investor club. So if you're an accredited investor, please make sure to sign up for that. I should point out, too, that when things are not solely for accredited investors, I do send them out to the greater list, so you still have an opportunity to see things there. And by the way, as I remind you again, you can sign up for my list and get a a copy of my book by 
texting 44222. And all you have to write in there is wealth formula, one word, wealth formula. And you'll get on all the lists and you'll get all the ideas that are available to us all if you're in our community. So make sure you do that. And I also want to remind you to make sure you go to iTunes, subscribe to the show, write a review, and for heaven's sake, share the show with your friends. You don't want your friends to die broke, right? So if you like them, send them a link to the show. Tom, you got to listen to this. Let's keep growing our community, folks. That said, this is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast. I will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time.